If you have uh, not been with us, we are going through uh, slowly but surely the Gospel of Luke. And today we are in chapter 2. Go ahead and put the title up if you would. Our title today is Holding On to Hope. And sometimes I think if you pay any attention at all to the world around us, holding on to hope is a little bit like uh, the, uh, the little girl in Banksy's mural there with the balloon. It's kind of there and, and you're reaching, but it, it seems like it's getting further and further away all the time. There, there's all kinds of things uh, on pretty much a daily basis that, that would can cause us to lose hope and, and cause us to uh, see hope sort of drifting away. But the question I want to ask is, is it possible, is it possible for us to hold on to hope even in the midst of circumstances that would say that you can't? Even when the circumstances around us say there's nothing to hope in, can we still hold on to it? So this morning we're going to look at a person who did just that, that very thing. This is uh, one of my favorite people in Scripture. Uh, and uh, he makes a very, very brief appearance and then just sort of rides off into the night, but he has a, a big impact. We can go ahead and... Oh, look at that. You're ahead of me. Our text is in Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse 25. <laughs> now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, go ahead, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. A couple little, uh, you know, sort, sort of parenthetical comments about Simeon. Um, so, some commentators are of the opinion that Simeon was a priest uh, because he, was, he participated in the dedication of the child. There's nothing in the text that tells us that. My personal thought is that he was not a priest. Simeon was just a guy that God appointed for this particular job, and he went to the temple that day uh, because the Spirit led him there. Uh, the other thing that is very often s- cited about Simeon, when you see any sort of... Uh, you know, drawing or painting or artistic kind of rendition of this scene. Simeon is always an old guy. He's very old. And again, there's nothing in the text that says that he may have been old. I don't know. Uh, and we also don't know how long he waited. Uh, was he, did he wait for a year, two years, five, 25, 50? I don't know. But we don't know much about Simeon other than what we do know about him and the thing I, I think is so precious about him is he was in the presence of the Spirit of God. I, I love this passage. He was, he was moved by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Simeon was in the presence of God, and that's all we really know, and that's what we uh, kind of have to hold on to in terms of his role in uh, the dedication of Jesus and the, and the projection of Jesus forward. The, uh, 
the beginnings of Jesus' life, the last few weeks we looked at, where, you know, it's just miraculous. There was angels showing up and speaking to Zechariah, and then Mary, and then Joseph. And there's, there was sort of this, you know, awesome presence happening his birth. Uh, and then after that now, it's time for Mary and Joseph to raise this child. And uh, I'm sure that at least to some degree, they kind of felt the weight of that. So first of all, let's just, let's just look at it. It's their first kid. And everybody knows when your first child is born, it's always a little bit tense, right? You, you don't know quite what to do. I remember when our first child was born, uh, it was like she was made out of glass, you know, you just like this all the time. And I would get up at night and go into where the crib was and listen to make sure she was breathing like every 25 minutes. Uh, by the time the last one came, uh, he's frankly lucky he survived. You know, it was like, hey, go feed yourself, whatever. You know, you just don't, you, you've gotten used to the process. Uh, and so it's a little different. So the first child, it's their first baby. They're, they're a little, got, got to be, you know, challenged by the, the reality of raising the kid. And, and then they, they've had this miraculous sort of beginning and they, they have at least some insight into who their child is. And now that, again, has to be another level of concern, you know. Uh, we, we don't want to mess up uh, raising the Son of God, okay? Uh, it's one thing, you mess up a kid, that's bad. You mess up God, that's really bad. Uh, so I'm sure they had the weight of that. Standard procedure, they're going to go to the temple and dedicate the child. That's what the law required them to do, and that's what they go to do. Uh, They were doing what all good parents did, and they go to the temple that day. And meanwhile, there's this guy, Simeon, who's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what exactly is the consolation of Israel? What is it that Simeon was waiting for? Throughout the Old Testament, God was trying to instill in the hearts of his people Israel the reality of being a covenant people. Uh, uh, now, a covenant is an agreement between two parties, but it's different than a contract. A contract is an agreement between two parties, but a contract is based on law. Once you sign a contract, you have to do what you said you would do because the law says you have to do it. So you're conscripted by law to do that. A covenant is similar, and then it's an agreement between two parties, but it's not based on law. There's no law connected to it. It's based on relationship. The reason that I'm now going to do what I said I would do in this covenant is because I have a relationship with you, and I want to fulfill that covenant relationship. I want to walk in a right relationship with you. So a covenant is a, a relational dynamic. And God's trying to communicate to his people, I want you, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to make an agreement with you. And here's the agreement. I want to bless you. I'll bless you. I'll pour my blessing out upon you. I'll give you everything you need to prosper. But what I want you to do then is to take all my goodness and all my grace and all my blessing, and I want you to share that with other people. That was the agreement. That was what God wanted. And somehow, Israel never quite got it. They, they, they would inevitably forget that bless others part. And uh, they would become self-centered and self-focused again and sort of hold on to the blessing of God. And then God would remove his hand and allow the enemies of Israel to come in and sort of disrupt the flow. And you sort of see that cycle go on and on through the Old Testament. And, and, And the people of Israel never really fulfilled that covenant that God made with them. 
They came pretty close uh, under the rule of David. When David was king, there was sort of this golden moment in Israel's history where things were functioning the way that they were supposed to function. They were kind of doing what they were supposed to do. And they were, they were bestowing grace and blessing on their neighbors and the people around them. But then after David, it kind of went downhill pretty quick. And you see what happens shortly after David's kingdom. His son Solomon takes over, and then the kingdom is divided. And the end of the Old Testament, you, what you see is division, and then war, and then captivity. Ultimately, Israel is taken captive and exiled, removed from their homeland, and just taken away. And, it, and it's really not a, a great time in their history, that whole, that whole period. From about 700 B.C., so 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, the time we're looking at now, Israel was never a sovereign nation. They were always under the rule of someone else. First, it was uh, under Greek rule. That eventually became Roman rule. And, and it was, they were never the people that God had called them to be. After David, God spoke to Israel again, and he promised that he would restore them, that a day would come when he would restore or console Israel. I'll, I'll, I'll console you, I'll make you the people that I called you to be. And it's that moment in time that Simeon is waiting for. The consolation of Israel is that day when God would come and restore his people to be the people that he'd always called them to be. And you read a lot about this if you read the latter part of Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 40 on through about chapter 66 at the end. It talks a lot about this day, this coming of the Lord, when this this wonderful thing is going to happen. And that's the thing that Simeon's waiting for. That's what God has spoken to Simeon, that he would see with his own eyes before he died. And when he says, I've seen your salvation, that's what he's talking about. That day, that coming of the Lord was always associated with a Messiah. There would be one who would come to bring that freedom and bring that restoration to Israel. It was the Christ. Which, Christ, by the way, is a title. It means anointed one. It's not Jesus' last name. Just in case you were wondering. The, uh, the relationship between Israel and the surrounding nations, and particularly uh, Rome and the nation that were in control over them was, was never good. It was always tense. There was always animosity. But in the first century, right at the time that Jesus was born, it was reaching fever pitch. There was a, it was an all-time peak in terms of the tension between the Jews and the Romans. Josephus is a, a Jewish historian who wrote at, at this time... And he tells us that in 6 AD, so roughly the same time that Jesus was born, a group of Jews got tired of it all. And they revolted. And they stood up against Caesar and they said, no more. We're not going to pay any more taxes. We're done with it. We're not paying taxes to Rome ever again. And so what Caesar did is he brought in the troops and slaughtered 20,000 Jews. You don't want to pay taxes? Okay, that's what you get. This was a challenging and a difficult time. And that's the environment, that's the political sort of uh, scenario that Jesus is born into. You might think, yeah, it could be a little hard to hold on to hope in the middle of that. 
How, how do we have hope in the midst of this sort of reality? For over 800 years, God had been promising that the Messiah would come, that Israel would be restored, and, and it never happened. 800 years is a long time. And, and when, you, when you wait for God to do something and it's not happening, you lose sight of it, you lose touch of it, your heart becomes hardened and you really do give up on hope. When, uh, when Donna and I came here to plant this church in the mid-90s, there, there, there had not been a lot of success with vineyard church planting in the Northwest. But right about that time, there were two or three prophetic words kind of floating around about what God was going to do in the Northwest region. There was supposed to be this revival was going to take place in the Northwest and the Spirit of God was going to spread across the Northwest. And that's sort of what we were coming into. And I was like, sweet. But it didn't happen. We found what we had heard originally to be true, that it really kind of was difficult. And every few years, it seemed like after that, you would hear those words again. They would kind of be recycled. Some new prophetic person, some different prophetic person would say, God's going to move in the Northwest. And I'd hear these words, like, okay, this is it. This is the time. Now it's going to happen. And it never happened. Recently, just months ago, this last year, I heard somebody say, yeah, there's going to be a big revival. God's going to move in the Northwest. I'm like, yeah, right. And I understand. I mean, part of me, I'm torn inside, you know, my spirit, because part of me says, I want so desperately to see that happen. I want to believe that with all my heart. But another part of me says, I, I haven't experienced that, and I've heard that song before. It's really, really hard to hold on to hope when the things that God has spoken haven't happened yet. 800 years Israel waited. There's kind of two responses to that dynamic that happened. They happened then and they happen now. One, there was this group of people who revolted and, and they, you, they sort of tried to push their way into the prophetic promise of God. And I've seen people do that today. Prophecy comes and they sort of try to manipulate circumstances and kind of make that thing happen. But you can't force God's hand. You can't manipulate God into doing something. It, it just doesn't work. It didn't work then, and, and it doesn't work now. The other response is the complete other end of the spectrum, really, where you just give up. You just lose hope completely, and, and you say, this is just the way it is, it's the way it's always been, and it's the way it's always going to be. But somewhere in between those two responses is Simeon. Simeon waited. And as he waited, he prayed. And as he prayed, he held on to hope. The Holy Spirit had spoken to Simeon and said specifically, you won't die. In your lifetime, this thing is going to happen. And Simeon clung to that promise and he waited. Now again, I don't know how long Simeon waited, but I know that he waited with expectation and belief in his heart. He believed that God really would do what God said he was going to do. And he continued to pray until one day. And I always, I always think about 
What was it like? Simeon's been waiting and waiting and waiting. And then one day, the Spirit of God says, today's the day. Today's the day. Go, go, today's the day. He's here today. Go to the temple now. And, and, and Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, it's just like you promised. Now here's, here's the catch. God spoke. Simeon went to the temple. And he saw Jesus. But nothing else had changed. Rome was still in charge. Israel was still living in an occupied territory. Nothing had changed. Their situation was exactly the same as it was yesterday. But Simeon says, I've seen the consolation of Israel. I've seen salvation. It's here. What did Simeon actually see? Let me ask you that question. What did he see? He saw a baby. He had peace and he believed in his heart. He hadn't actually seen the consolation of Israel, but what he had seen is the one who would bring about the consolation of Israel. He saw a mustard seed of the promise of God. He saw the promise within a promise. He saw that thing that God was going to do in its tiny little form. And I think sometimes that's what God does, and we have to be willing and able to see what God's doing in that little tiny mustard seed form. We have to be willing to embrace it and say, yes, I'm with it. I'm going to go with that. The message that God had, the restoration that Israel was going to go through, wasn't complete. It hadn't fully happened, but it had arrived. It started, and that's the kingdom of God, and that's the nature of the kingdom of God. It's here, but it's not full, and that's what, exactly what was happening in Simeon's life. At that moment, when he praised God for the arrival of the kingdom through Jesus, and I just think there's parallels for us in that today. I think we're in the exact same situation. I mean, if you pay any attention at all, you realize the world's a mess. Okay, so, so you know, maybe North Korea will launch nukes. I don't know. Maybe we will have a giant terrorist attack. I don't know. Maybe the big one will hit and Portland's bridges will collapse. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And you might say, where is hope in the midst of all that? What is there to hope in? And I would say to you, Simeon saw a baby. And his heart leapt for joy. Cute little six-pound, five-ounce baby Jesus, as Ricky Bobby would say. And that's what the hope of the world is in, though. The hope of the world is in the coming of Jesus into the world. And, you know, I think we think about... Advent and Christmas and Jesus came into the world. And I think as we go into the new year, we think about the reality that he's here and he's with us. Even if nothing has changed, we can hope in the reality that Jesus is here and he's with us. And I would just say this to you today. I'll just, this is, you know, as directive as I'm going to get. But if your hope is in anything else, if your hope is in military power, if your hope is in greater security, good luck with that. Let me tell you, the hackers are smarter. They'll find a way in. I mean, there's, you can't beat the system. If your hope is in anything other than Jesus, it's going to fail. Simeon said, ah, sovereign Lord. And sovereign means you're in all, you're above all, you're over all, and you're in control of it all. And that's, that's what we hope in. You know, you can look around at the craziness in the world 
And like Simeon, you can go, nothing has changed here. Rome is still in control. Israel is still being persecuted. We still live in a world that's a mess. But Simeon saw something in that baby that changed his perspective on everything. What's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. I think anybody that says they know what's going to happen tomorrow is either lying or nuts. But I know this. This is what I do know. My hope is in Jesus. And when Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, trust in me, I'm going to go with that. I'll take what's behind door number one, Monty. Let not your heart be troubled, trust in me. I'll I'll go with that. I don't see it. It's not everywhere around me. There's still a lot of things that could cause us to be concerned, but I'm going to go with, don't let your heart be troubled, trust in me. So what do we do? Simeon waited, and do we wait? Do we just wait? You know, <clears throat> it's an interesting thing. Uh, we were talking about it before service. Growing up in the 70s was a lot of fun. Um, I became a Christian in the 70s, and everybody was convinced that Jesus was going to come back any minute. Some of you remember this. And so there were a lot of Christians walking around just looking up. You'd see people. Standing out. What are you doing? Looking for Jesus, just waiting. He's coming any minute. I mean, that was the mentality. It's just, we're just going to hang and, and hold on until he gets here. And, and I don't think that's the right approach, to be honest. Certainly, waiting isn't easy, and there's a dynamic of, of waiting. But I think there's some things we can do while we wait. and I believe we can stay actively engaged in the kingdom of God as we pray and look for his kingdom to be fulfilled. Again, I love this passage about Simeon because it's so filled with the Holy Spirit. This is pre-Pentecost, right? This is Jesus is a tiny little baby. He hasn't even done anything yet, and the Holy Spirit is on Simeon. The Holy Spirit is revealing things to Simeon. The Holy Spirit is speaking to him, and he's directing him. Simeon went to the temple that day under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and I think we can ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do we do today? What does today have for me? Where do you want me to go today? Who do you want me to talk to today? What, what might be in, in your plan for me today? And if we, if we dial that in, if we tune that up, if we listen and we follow after the leading of God, I think things will change. And we'll begin to see the presence and the reality of God and God's kingdom in different ways than we will otherwise. And, I, and I, I think there's a role that we play in an activity that we engage in while we wait. It's not just a matter of waiting, but it's a matter of seeking the Spirit's guidance as we wait for the presence of God to come. We can become heralds of hope. We really can become light and life to people around us. I think that the truth is, there's a lot of people that give in to the despair of the world, and they look at the news, and they see the reality, and they go, oh my gosh. And we can be the ones that in the name of Jesus speak life and hope into their hearts again. And they're around you everywhere you go. They're where you work. They're in your neighborhood. They're actually at Starbucks. And we can be that light in life and we can speak truth and hope into their hearts. Because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus did, we can love our enemies. 
those that we disagree with, those that have different perspectives and opinions than us, because of what Jesus did, we can learn to love them. Because of what Jesus did, we can bless those who curse us. When someone speaks out and says negative things, we can bless them in the name of Jesus. I believe God's calling us in in this year to be beacons of hope. You want to come up? To be light in this world and to sow hope. And I would just encourage you today as we you know, go into the new year to begin to just pray and seek God's guidance. And how does that look for you? What does that mean for me? And, and I, I think it's different for everybody, and that's part of the beauty of it. But everybody has a role to play. And your role might be different than somebody else's. But whatever it is, you ask God and God will show you. And it, and it might just be bringing light and life to one person somewhere someday. You know, there's... You never know. Where is that person going to be? But if you're in the presence of God like Simeon was, you, you follow his leading and you, and you find it. So why don't we stand and we're going to close with some worship. And, and uh, as we close, I want to just go ahead and invite our prayer team to come up now, if you would. And uh, so, so there's folks that are here to pray for you on both sides of the room. And if you would like somebody just to pray with you for anything today, I would encourage you as we worship just to come up and receive prayer. And... Uh, you know, this year we saw, this past year, we saw God's healing hand on a couple people in pretty profound ways. And it was, it was a time of great rejoicing when those things happened. But I think we can see more. And so if you're, if you're sick or if you know somebody who's sick and you just want to stand together in prayer, come and get prayer. And I, I think we can see God's hand in, in ways of restoration of relationship and in lots of, lots of broken things being fixed. And so if you need prayer for anything today, I just encourage you to... Come over and there's folks here that will that will pray with you as we close.